Welcome to the Wellness and Healthy Lifestyle Show on your VOCM. Now here's your host, Dr. Mike Wall. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Wall. Well, today I'm happy to have a truly inspirational guest with us. Jason Piercy is a survivor of a traumatic vehicle accident that changed his life forever. Now, despite the odds, Jason has persevered to overcome incredible challenges to reclaim his life. He joins us today to share his story of recovery and perseverance, which is truly remarkable and a testament to the human spirit. Now, when it comes to his message for health, his is one of hope, determination, and the power of love. I hope this story will help to inspire you or others that may be facing their own health challenges. Let's get to our interview. Hey, Jason, welcome to the show. Hello, Mike. How are you? Good, man. Good. We've been meaning to have this conversation for a while, so I'm really glad we tracked each other down and we can have this conversation. How you been? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. You feel a little better these days. And I guess that's really what we're chatting about is, you know, you have gone through uh, a beyond challenging situation in the last number of years. Can you explain to uh, our listeners uh, what happened and why we're kind of chatting today? Uh, I think that we're chatting today because of a um, motor vehicle accident that I was that I was in a, about a year and a half ago, the 29th of September, 2021, at 4:23 p.m. Uh, I was just doing my thing, riding my bike down Portage Grove Road, and uh, this really, this really inconsiderate mid-size SUV mm. <laughs> wanted to throw itself into my plants. Obviously, I mean, there was no intention, no cruel intention there and but I got struck down and uh, um, a lot of real bad stuff happened to my body and uh, broke a bunch of things and lost some organs and for a while there it didn't look like I was ever going to make it out at all and given the nature of the stories you tell in your show it I, I feel like having this conversation with me is an opportunity for your audience um, to find ways to be grateful for things and to take lessons that they can implement into their own lives. So if you ask me like why we're here to talk, I think it's because shared perspective um, is incredibly valuable if you can if you can like get it, if you can get it. Yeah. And I think another thing that really resonates with your story is that health isn't valued till it's lost. Now you've been extremely fortunate in that you've done an amazing job recovering because when we go through your injuries they were so extensive that you're lucky to be alive um but you know having health lost when you've been young and healthy and at everything at your fingertips gives you a real perspective of just how fragile things are and and how yeah. you would never intentionally take your health away from yourself but in your case you got to experience health being deprived and uh it probably changed you as a person i think that that's i, I never looked at it that way but, and I think about that same sort of that juxtaposition that allows for perspective. I think about it and I often use weather as an example. Like we, we love our good weather when we get it because it's not constant. And to some degree, it's somewhat rare. Like as we're filming today, like it's very nasty outside, yeah. but I appreciate this nastiness because if every day was a warm, sunny day, I wouldn't really care about warm, sunny days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like that perspective is valuable. 
Yeah, sweet isn't sweet without the sour. And so today, you you were gracious enough and brave enough to share your story for the people listening may get a dose of that reality without having to go through it themselves. And so that's really what this message is for, I think, for people that are going through their struggles to know that there is hope and that there is a lesson to be learned. Um, but also, let's take care of ourselves when we can. So, you know, maybe, you know, we're, we're, we have a really solid understanding of what happened to you. But for our listeners, can you walk us through, you know, when you did get... Uh, medical treatment what sure. was the extent of your injuries um so <laughs> um i have about 40 ish individual pieces of titanium in my body mm-hmm. uh and they mostly make up uh my collarbone on the on this side my shoulder the entirety of this arm down to the the radius and the ulna also but m- my most of my pelvis is also all metal now because I got, as I got struck, I went forward onto the bike with enough force to take, cause your pelvis roughly looks like this. It's got like ears on it. Mine kind of went like that. So it was pretty, so all of this is, then there's, you know, and across the top, it's actually kind of funny. It's like, I have, it, um, I'm in the real estate industry and I do a lot of new home construction. So I'd structure things thinking about when I grew up around construction. So mm-hmm. it's like, it's like I got two eight inch lag bolts going into the side that like cross and connect both sides. And like to look at the, to look at the x-rays, I call them the before and after kind mm-hmm. of to look at those. It's it like, it's disturbing to think that like that's in you or in like, if I rub a scar and I can feel like I, I that's metal. I can yeah. feel that's metal and it ends right there. And then there's here and there, I know there's a screw right there. Like it's, it's uncomfortable and it's awkward. So, um, I broke my neck a couple of times, uh, C1 and C3. So very, very high up just under like the occipital lobe or whatever. And, um, this, all of the breakage in this arm was done with the force of, uh, it being like attempted to be like removed like pulled off of Mm -hmm. my body so there's also a lot of nerve damage and um vascular damage to they got stretched to the point where um no blood could get into my arm anymore so there was six or eight hours where there was no blood flow into this arm and the the force that my uh abdominal area was impacted and and the damage that was done to my pelvis also did a great deal of damage to the organs around there because there's a lot of stuff in there and but i'm also incredibly fortunate because when they opened me up to like see where all of the blood was coming from because i mean you would you would know that a a man my size and age has maybe like eight ish pints of blood yeah somewhere. five or six liters of blood yeah 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 so i lost I lost five pints before I got to the hospital. Jeez. So that's like 70 plus percent of all of the blood in my body was gone and it was all from internal bleeding. So my spleen had been just, just mm-hmm. in shards. Yeah. And um, so that was no good. <laughs> they couldn't repair it. So they just sort of tossed it out. But remarkably, nothing else was damaged. None of the other organs. It was all the only one that you kind of don't really need. You can live and, without it, yeah. Right, and somehow my liver was okay. I don't know, <laughs> but uh, but everything else was was pretty good. So, the the 
the first thing that they looked at when I went in was um, my neck was broken um, and they weren't sure whether or not that was going to have long-term damage, either like to brain injury or paralysis or whatever else. But they knew I was bleeding out. And the way trauma works is like they fix the thing that will kill you first. Mm-hmm which makes sense. Mm -hmm. So they opened up my belly and found all the blood that was where it was coming from and the source of that. And they cut that off and then they're like, okay, well, it's not going to bleed to death. So now what's the next thing? What's the next thing? And let go in that way. And when they got to my arm, because if you're not sure whether or not someone will live or whether or not they've got paralysis or the shape of a broken arm is less concerning. Mm -hmm. So when they got to that, um, it had been six or eight hours without any blood. And I mean, that's dead tissue effectively, right? Yeah. So the plan was to amputate it uh, up at the shoulder. And they, or they did the paperwork. Um, of course, I've learned this weeks afterwards, right? So I wake up and I'm coming out of these like coma dreams and opioid hallucinations. And people are telling me all the things that happened to me. And I'm like, I did what? I broke what? I got a what? <laughs> Anyways. So my parents signed off on removing my arm. That was done. The decision was made. They were like, done. And the vascular surgeon who happened to be on call for trauma that day um, came up to the OR to just like reroute the plumbing, I assume, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. that you can remove it. And just sort of said, I got an idea. Anyone mind if I give it a shot? They were like, no, man, have at her. So he opened up my leg harvested a vein, uh, built a new artery out of it and put yeah. it in here, kind of like you like with a heart attack or whatever, and uh, plugged it in and my nail bed started to sort of come to life again. And he was like, oh, cool. <laughs> wow. So then they went to work putting all the metal in to put it back together. We're here with Jason Piercy, who's a survivor of a traumatic vehicle accident that changed his life forever. Now, despite the odds, Jason has persevered to overcome incredible challenges and reclaim his life. We'll be right back after the break. Join Brian Medor weekdays at noon for a comprehensive update on news from every corner on all levels. Newsmakers, weather, and more. Join us on your VOCM at noon. Welcome back. We're here with Jason Piercy, who's a survivor of a traumatic vehicle accident that changed his life forever. Now, despite the odds, Jason has persevered to overcome incredible challenges and reclaim his life. Let's get back to the interview. I've known you for quite a while, and I remember the day that this happened, and I remember just how shocking it was because when people found out how injured you were, it was really scary for, I'm sure, beyond terrifying for your family and everybody who was right there, but even for all of us that knew you, it was barely, um, really a quite an a, a, a shock to us. And, you know, there was a huge outpouring of support. And I guess that was like almost your first indication that, you know, you were going to have a lot of support to try and get through this, which is probably really important. So when was the first time you realized what was going on and how much support you got? Oh, wow. Um, it happened real fast. Hmm. And I was, I was in, um, and induced coma for 10 or 12 days or something. Mm -hmm. And they would take me out of it periodically to see if I could like wiggle my toes, if I was paralyzed, if I had brain damage, if I was responsive, they do some neurological tests with like with my eyes and everything. And at one point I was, I don't know if I was coming out of or going into a surgery 
I'm, I'm thinking going into to put parts of my arm back together because when they did the um like i have a really cool like a really cool looking wow. scar that's a it's long like scar that's the entire forearm all the way from the hand all the way up to the bicep yeah it's like it's really really long and it's cool and <laughs> that was called a fasciotomy so like when when they when they wanted to plug the new artery in they had to sever everything because if not all of the force of the new plumbing would sort of make stuff just go pop and like so they had to do that so i was on my way into surgery probably to repair some of that because that was left wide open for a week to make sure that the the new vascular work was working yep and somebody had had started a gofundme campaign that um to this day when i reflect on it comes with a whole bunch of crazy feelings um, because we've all seen people share across social media, you know, help me with this, help me with that, help me with whatever on a, And, and most of these things, they don't get legs. Like they don't, yeah. they don't go anywhere. And, and mine did. And in like a really, really, <clears throat> in a really big way. And I remember going into or out of this surgery, whatever it was. And a good friend of mine, um, uh, Samantha Pico, uh, a lot of people know her. She's, she's a notable figure locally. She's been on television a few times and like, she's a good friend of mine and a good business owner. And she said, every, like, just worry about getting better. We've got 30,000 raised already. And I was just either into or out of a surgery. And and I'm told that she said that. And I just said, CRA. Yeah. <laughs> CRA. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I think that was probably when I first realized that people were helping. Mm -hmm. And when I came to and I um, got off of the, the heavier pain meds, the opioids and everything, because that were just like straight into my veins for like yeah. a while. Yeah. And then I had some clear thought that's when I realized how much the community had stepped up and that's a hard thing to come to terms with. Mm -hmm. Like simultaneously admitting to yourself, I really, really need this, but being okay with everybody having done so much for you. It's mm -hmm. like, that's a hard thing to get your head around to feel like you deserve it, but also know you need it. Like it's a real strange sensation. Yeah. Well, I mean, but you've also supported the community and been active in the community through your work as well. So I could see why that rallied around you. And I guess that, you know, when you come out of this and you take a look, because again, you're coming off these heavy medications where you're not really coherent. And then you start to take an appraisal of just how much damage is going on in your body. And you think you've got a road ahead of you. How yeah. did that support help start to motivate you on what had to be a grueling recovery process? Well, that's a, that's a, really really important question and it's one that that gives me something to be incredibly grateful for because when people go through these life-changing healthcare related sort of situations a lot of the largest the biggest worries that they have and worry is a, is a huge stress on your system. Mm -hmm. Like if you're, if you're not mentally well, your body doesn't work the way it's supposed to, and you can't repair yourself. It's like, if you can't sleep and you're not eating and you're like, you, you don't have the ability to get better. Mm -hmm. And 
all of the stress and the worry I never experienced because by the time I woke up, um, I, I, they already knew he doesn't have brain damage. He doesn't have paralysis. He's not at, his life is no longer at risk. He will have a long recovery. We don't know whether or not he'll walk again. We don't know how useful that left arm will be, but he's got just about 50 grand in the bank. Mm -hmm. And so his daughter's going to have Christmas. He's not going to lose his house. He's not like all of the things that one worries about that makes it impossible to heal because your body focuses on and you're so full of cortisol and like the stress hormones, like you can't, your body can't work when you're like that. Yeah. I didn't have any of that. Yeah. So yep. when I woke up, all of the things that would keep me from getting better were resolved by people who, who were lovely enough to make my life a priority. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's an important message here too, is that not everybody has that fortunate, you know, benefit of having that community support and those, and those things taken off their plate. But I think that really what comes down to it, you know, and I want to, I want to get into this right after we go through exactly what you had to go through for your recovery. Cause I think it's an important part of the story, but you know, like what lessons do you learn from that? And then what, what, you know, what did, what did you gain out of this, you know, really tragic sort of thing that happened? But, you know, before we get into that, I, I do think it's really important to tell a story of like, what did you have to go through to recover? Because I know you're still going through rehabilitation right now. You got good days, you got bad days, but why don't yeah. you give me a, a lowdown on how that went? Well, I mean, I've still got five or six hours of medical appointments every week. Mm -hmm. And now I say medical, but also paramedical and training. And so like I, every week there's five or six different appointments. Mm -hmm. So... The recovery was was almost impossible in the hospital because I couldn't sleep. Like I just, my body would not sleep and I wanted to, and I was exhausted and, and I couldn't eat. So I didn't have, I didn't have the resources like, like medically, my body just wasn't able to do the things it needed to do because I couldn't mm -hmm. eat and I couldn't sleep. Mm -hmm. And they tried everything, like all of the different pills that they're allowed to give you and like, and, and it just wouldn't work. And I learned that I hadn't known this before, but each, each like, I guess, floor, like the floors at the health science, they all represent different types of medical, like sections, subfields of medicine. Mm -hmm. So, and each of those units has um, a social worker. Ah. And my social worker is a, a young guy named TJ and TJ, he doesn't know this, but I would say TJ probably saved my life. Wow. And the reason, I mean, obviously they all did, of course, of course, but of course. Yeah. In, in a very different way, TJ set me up on a pilot program called home first that basically meant I was released from the hospital, but not released from the hospital's care but I set up my own living room. Like I'm looking at the place right now, like over there is where my bed was over okay. here is where the crane was that would lift me up in the sling. Cause I wasn't allowed to put my feet on the ground for like three or four months or something. Wow. Like I lost 50 pounds of just muscle wasting. Mm. Cause I, I, I was just lying in bed. I couldn't do anything else. So I, I, I can see it here when I, when I look and like, that's where the commode was 
And and where I'm sitting now is where everybody would put puzzles together while I was hanging from a crane in a sling over a bucket. Like it's like what it does to you, that perspective. So TJ set that up. Mm-hmm. So once I got home, I was, and I'm fortunate enough that like my, my parents are still with me and they're young and capable enough that they could be here 24 hours a day. They didn't moved into my house like the night of the accident and they were here and all of my friends and there were so many, so many people. And once I was home, I could sleep mm-hmm. and I could start to eat. And that's when my recovery started to take off. We're here with Jason Piercy, who's a survivor of a traumatic vehicle accident that changed his life forever. Now, despite the odds, Jason has persevered to overcome incredible challenges and reclaim his life. We'll be right back after the break. Weekday mornings from 5.30 to 9. Jumpstart your day with Jerry Lynn Mackey and Ben Murphy. Newsmakers, traffic, weather, and more during your VOCM morning show. Welcome back. We're here with Jason Piercy, who's a survivor of a traumatic vehicle accident that changed his life forever. Now, despite the odds, Jason has persevered to overcome incredible challenges and reclaim his life. Let's get back to the interview. You know, there must have been discouraging moments during that whole process. I mean, probably a lot more discouraging ones than positive ones. But I've known you for a while, and you've always been somebody who's accomplishing and, and, and having a positive attitude towards things. How how fundamental was that towards getting through those, what are probably relatively mundane tasks to begin with, but were essential for your recovery? So I went through a really difficult like like mental load of coming to terms with things mm-hmm. and much like yourself I'm I'm a driven person um but I've been working with m- mental health concerns like I've got I I'm, I have anxiety and depression that are diagnosed and ADHD and my I all of those things are medicated but I didn't medicate my ADHD when I was in recovery because I re- I didn't need that focus and that that drive because it's so hard. If I'm not productive, I start to get depressed about my own existence and who I am and that my own self-worth, right? Yep. And when that happens, then I get anxious and my anxiety cripples me. And all of that happens if I don't monitor my ADHD. Because if I don't monitor my ADHD, I'm not functioning at the level that I can and I deserve to be. And that the people that I work with or for or I am accountable to, even as a father, if I'm not functioning well, I'm not performing, and it all starts to descend and it gets worse and worse. Mm -hmm. Convincing myself and knowing it to be true that the best possible thing for everyone that I love and myself is to just lay here. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. That was so, so hard to just come to terms with. Time. And there's literally nothing, nothing I could do about it. And knowing that there was nothing I could do about it was, it, it took so long to like beat it into myself. But it comes with a level of perspective and understanding that I get to use all the time now. Because yeah. the amount of times that I'm in a conversation with somebody and they're they're venting about something that bothers them, which is fine. We we all do that. And in my head, I'm like, 
none of your shit matters. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> right? Because it really doesn't. And but you don't want to be the person who says that, who always says, like, well, when I when I almost died, I learned yeah. that your problems aren't real problems. Like yes. you don't want to be that either. But mm -hmm. there's so much value in that perspective. Well, that's right. And I think it's also a perspective that, you know, people are going through all sorts of stuff right now. You look at you, you would never tell that you're full of gear and that you got to go through recovery, but everybody has their battles in one way or another. And I think that, you know, understanding, and maybe sometimes that happens when it's the first time we've had trauma of any sort in our lives yeah. that we think, okay, you know what? A lot of people have things going on and, you know, it's, it's real to them and it might be the most intense thing they've ever focused on. And, and it may not have been as, as significant as say yours, but I, I think that, you know, that is a level of, um, I don't know, I guess this awareness about people and other people and what they're going through as well, which is important. I think that yeah. sort of leads us to some life lessons that kind of came out of it. So perspective. Another thing you said that was really important there, I think that I don't want to lose this point was you were aware of your health in a lot of ways. And like when it came to mental health and how to use that to your advantage or disadvantage, depending on how you want to use it. And and for you knowing your health, I mean, how important was it or how important is it for people going through challenging oh, times wow. to be aware of their health and, and what they can do around it? Because I think most so, people are oblivious. So post-accident, I, I spent a lot of time um, thinking about, obviously, and and working on my mental health because like, I don't remember the accident itself like the, the impact and the i don't remember any of those things and i don't and i don't really want to because that's those are some really nasty ingredients into a very gross bowl of ptsd soup yeah and i don't yep. necessarily need that post-traumatic stuff mm -hmm. but I, one of the lessons that i would want anybody to know when it comes to dealing with trauma is that when you're in it and you're in the fight, your body really does like your body really does go into this fight or flight system. And it does that to protect you. So you might not feel all of the traumatic damage from a mental health perspective while you're in it because you're fighting. Mm -hmm. And then as you come out of it, it's very, very common for people who were superheroes during like their wife's cancer treatment, or they were like mom of the year and worked two jobs while dad was sick. So they, they could handle things. And then when that's done, they descend into this awful depression because they never processed any of it. Mm -hmm. And next thing you know, they, they've got addiction issues or they're like, that's so very, very common. Okay. So one of the priorities I had with my psychiatrist and my psychologist after the fact was that I want to work on, on move dealing with this trauma because I don't want that to happen. And I don't want the PTSD thing to happen. I want to, I want to deal with it this way. And the lesson that I have taken from it. And if, if you'll allow me to tell a little bit of a story as to why it's better, please do it, if um, if you are in the wild, okay, and we're talking about animals here, um, wild cows and wild buffalo both have this innate ability to predict when poor stormy weather is approaching. Okay, they can both do this. When it's happening, the cows will collectively herd and run away from the weather that's approaching them. 
And because they know it's coming sooner than most species, they're running for a long time by the time it gets there. And they're always running away from it. It's chasing them and they're running away. But it always catches them because they run themselves basically through to exhaustion by the time the storm comes. And then they're still trying to run away from it as it's chasing them. And by the time it rolls over them, they're exhausted, completely spent, because they've just spent all of their energy, all their time, and to whatever degree cows have a level of consciousness that they're stressed out, they're they're totally useless now. Mm-hmm. Buffalo also know that the storm is coming. And as soon as they get a sense that it's coming, collectively as a herd, they turn and run as hard as they can into it. So they turn and they run into it and they get there faster. They get through it faster and they're not spent at the end because they didn't spend eight hours trying to escape at first. Mm -hmm. They turn and they run into it. And that's how I personally feel people should be handling their own trauma, whether it's physical, emotional, psychological, because you cannot escape it. And the more tired you are when it gets there, the harder getting through it is going to be. So turn and run into it. So that's that's what I did. I ran into it. I love that message. I think that message extends to so many different aspects of health. People don't want to go get a checkup because they're afraid of what they might find, knowing that by the time they finally do get diagnosed, it's going to be significantly worse. Mental My health, ex-mother-in-law physical. says that. She's yeah. like, no, I'm not going to the doctor. Well, how come, Hannah? Well, because they're just going to find a bunch of stuff wrong with me. Yeah. Well, <laughs> hey, I'd rather see a piece of rust in my car before my axle snaps, you know, uh, you know so, uh, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a great one. Okay. And then, okay. So we're going to get into other personal ones, but another, another thing that I think is really important because you had community support and you had a lot of love. Um, yes. not everybody has that, but it, people can still find community, even if they don't have a lot of family or whatever community is so important. How important is that community, that love? to um to keep you to keep you motivated we kind of alluded to that earlier but like that's like a you must have a lesson out of that well for me i remember the specific moment where i was lying in the hospital bed this arm was still useless it was there there was staples i had like over 400 staples in me mm-hmm. just putting things back together the amount of scars i have is I mean, I looked pretty badass. <laughs> oh, I remember. I see some right. of it. Yeah, yeah. So um, I remember lying in the hospital bed and the head trauma surgeon who had done, mo- who like oversaw the whole thing. I said, um, Dr. Huber, Hubner, her name is, and she's incredible. Um, I said, so for my own purposes, I would like a reality check here on what my expectations should be moving mm-hmm. forward. And at this point, I had been in the hospital for about two weeks. And she said, well, no, let's not worry about that right now. Day at a time. I was like, no, as a part of who I am, like, this is something that I need to know. Like, and and you're not going to hurt my feelings. I'm not going to be scared. I need this because I need to know what the storm I'm running into is, Mm -hmm. basically, right? So she said, well, you'll be here probably... Definitely another month, maybe two. And after that, chances are you'll be moved to the Miller Center for rehabilitation. Uh, And that could be anywhere from three, six to nine months, depending on how it goes. And hopefully we'll get you to the point where you can walk 
um, over the course of the next six to nine months and maybe two or three or four years from now, you, you, the semblance of your life that you're used to, to whatever degree, you'll be back to your whatever your new normal is kind mm -hmm. of right. Mm -hmm. And I sat there and I listened and I took it and I understood and I appreciated it and I told her, thank you. And she turned and walked away. And in that moment, it clicked for me. And I, and I said to myself, nope. Yeah. Nope. That's not, that's not good enough. And not that it's not good enough for me, because at this point in time, I had already thought about the fact that I might never walk again. Yeah. If I can't walk again, what do I do with the rest of my life? Yep. Because I, I run a real estate business. I'm like, okay, well, yeah. the part of, of me that makes me good at my job is is like from the neck up. Mm -hmm. There's lots of people who don't have legs or arms that are mm -hmm. great people and good at things. So that's fine. But it wasn't good enough for everybody who had shut down their entire lives mm -hmm. so that I would be okay. It wasn't good enough for all of the people who had gone out of their way to give me love and support such that I could do this. So I decided, no, that's not happening. And two weeks after that, I was home in my own living room. We're here with Jason Piercy, who's a survivor of a traumatic vehicle accident that changed his life forever. Now, despite the odds, Jason has persevered to overcome incredible challenges and reclaim his life. We'll be right back after the break. Nutrition, exercise, keeping the cold at bay. Whatever keeps you feeling great, the Wellness and Healthy Lifestyle Show on your VOCM. Welcome back. We're here with Jason Piercy, who's a survivor of a traumatic vehicle accident that changed his life forever. Now, despite the odds, Jason has persevered to overcome incredible challenges and reclaim his life. Let's get back to the interview. I think that people know their parents love them, but like... You don't really see it unless Man, like it, all all hands called, right? I can't even. I've always known that my parents were good people, mm. and I've always loved them. They've been good parents. I I'm very very fortunate that I have the family that I have, and I grew up with the parenting that I had. But I didn't know, I didn't know the degree to which they were exemplary human beings. Mm. They were always good parents. And I don't even, I could tell you a million stories, man, a million of them. Mm -hmm. But like I had a core six or eight people that would come to the visit me kind of every day at the hospital. And again, when I was in my, in my own home and two of them on two separate occasions, when it was just me and them in the room, they were crying to me mm. because they were in so much pain because they, they don't understand why they didn't have parents like I had. Mm -hmm. and they so like man i can't even harold and agnes piercy are two of the greatest human beings that have ever lived like they're and i always knew they were good parents but they're a whole nother kind of person man i love that i love that it's funny i decided that i wanted to spend the rest of my life with my wife after an abdominal surgery and she was walking me in the kitchen back and forth for a couple laps and that you know there's that level of kindness that certain it shines through in certain yeah. people and when you see that you're like wow and you know and maybe that's made you see that in, in, in people around you and, and maybe look for that in other people because you know it's possible because i don't think yeah. sometimes you can see it unless you've gone you've been in a vulnerable situation where you've got to rely 100 percent on people yeah and and not only that but like what it does to your your ego mm. and you start to realize like man when you have something medical going on shame is the first thing that goes out the window 
Yeah. Okay. Okay. So perfect, perfect segue. Couldn't have asked for a better segue on that. Uh, how has, this is the big, the big, big question. Cause you know, we're not, we've been talking already for a half an hour. It's crazy how fast time flies. This is the big question. How has this event, and this is why we're chatting today, changed your outlook on life? We can do hard things. And the stuff that we complain about that we don't like, well, why don't you like it? Well, it's really hard. So yeah. you can do hard things. Mm. And not only can you do hard things, you have no idea how infinitely powerful you are. And it's not your fault. You've just never, you've never had to. Mm -hmm. But what you're capable of handling and what you're able to do and the amount of people in your life that love you more than you could possibly imagine, even if you're certain they don't. And you'll be surprised at who shows up at your door and is there every day. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. people, like I, I like, I like poetry. So like there are people that have stayed in the hospital room with me long after they were supposed to be gone, just like playing with my hair and reading me poetry so I could fall asleep. And they're not the people that anybody who knows me well would expect to be the ones who, the, who would put that in. Mm. We can do hard things and you are loved so, so much deeper than you could ever imagine. It reminds me of a poem, uh, The Psalm of Life by Longfellow. Tell me yeah. that more of his life is but an empty dream. You know, and, and you know, I think that that is, that is important. And, you know, I've had people on the show for all different reasons. People who survived cancer. Other people have had traumatic injuries and just done these incredible things. And, you know, it's one of the reasons I have this sort of episode frequently is because it's so easy to lose perspective on different things and having people like yourself that have literally been broken in half come in and say, look, I gained something and, and grew as a human being, even in the darkest time is really important, I guess. So, you know, if you were to leave a message for our listeners about, you know, what, what should they take with them from our conversation today? There's a long list of things that I wish they could take from them. I have two that I would, that I would like to share. Mm-hmm. Um, and one is about, about our healthcare system in general. Mm -hmm. But first, do you remember like when you were a kid and you wanted to do something and your, your parents were like, no, you can't. Well, why? Well, you just can't. You'll understand when you're older. Mm -hmm. They were right. You will understand when you're older. But it's impossible to impart that to somebody until they're older. They just don't have the perspective. Yeah. And the long list of things that I know to be irrefutably true and unequivocally certain that I can't share with people is infuriating. Mm. And I can try and I have tried, but they're not old enough to understand. Mm -hmm. Like you'll get it when you're older. Yeah. And it's so hard. So if there's a lesson there, the people you know in your lives who have gone through the darkest of times. When they speak, please listen. Mm. Because mm. they're seeing the world through an entirely unfiltered lens. And you're blessed with still having a filter. 
So if somebody's been on their deathbed or somebody's had their heart broken or somebody's been an addict or somebody has mental health problems, when they tell you what they think, listen to it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Agreed. And the second thing I would like to share, if I can, I'm going to say this about our healthcare system here locally. Mm -hmm. And before before what I'm going to say, I would like I would like to say that I'm going to remove mental illness and addictions from the conversation because it's something that we definitely need to be better at and we do have a crisis situation. But I remember speaking to a buddy of mine who's like, I got a something going on with my knee. I got to get an MRI. It takes nine months, nine months to get an MRI. This is ridiculous. And I just said, I wouldn't say it to everybody, but I said it to him because he's a buddy. I was like, dude, you don't need, you don't want to need an MRI today. Like I needed an MRI today. And that's not where you want to be. Yeah. And I know what you're saying. And you're saying that, you know, the people that are getting that emergent care, the people that are leading to death and lost five out of eight, you know, yes, I, I understand what you're saying on yep. that one. And that, that is a good perspective that we don't hear often enough. And that is that, you know, we understand that there may be challenges with yep. the healthcare system, Yeah. but if you're in a situation and you're in a critical situation like that, we do have some of the best doctors in the world to help oh us, my goodness. put us together. And like, they genuinely care because I work with them on a day-to-day -day basis. And these people choose this field because they want to make a difference. And so hopefully we get to a place where everybody gets the care so we can have the emergency care and then we can have the care for those maybe non-emergent situations so that nobody has to go without and yeah you know but as part of our conversation today, I think this brings us back to the whole health literacy side being aware of things you know seeing that storm and going towards the storm if you have health risks addressing them in advance if you have mental health challenges you have cardiovascular challenges looking at those so that when you go and face that storm you're stronger and more resilient you're not exhausted and I think that's a really important message to take home Chase, I, I, I know it's not easy for you to talk about this situation because it's obviously something that's extremely emotional and something that was a huge impact on your life, but I do really appreciate you sharing your story today. Thanks for joining us. Uh, my very, very sincere pleasure. Uh, and it is hard, but we can do hard things. Mm -hmm. And the more hard things we do, the more other people recognize that they can do hard things. And if you do them over and over again, they stop being so hard to do. Thank you to Jason for joining me today. We've learned about the power of the human spirit and the importance of never giving up, even in the face of what might seem like impossible odds. I hope you've been inspired by Jason's story of perseverance and recovery. Life can be unpredictable, but it's how we choose to face those challenges that defines us. Jason's journey has shown us the importance of having a positive attitude, surrounding ourselves with love and support, and never losing sight of our goals. It's an incredible story, and I'm glad he could take the time to share it with us today. That's our show this week. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Wall. We'll see you back here next week for another episode of The Wall Show on your VOCM.